You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Would you just pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of gathering together and and praying and singing as one in Christ. Would you let us today grow in grace and knowledge? And, And may Christ be all in all and may everything else be but shadows in light of, of who you are and who you have made us by your work. God, would you show us today that it is your promise past and your promise future that transforms us while we wait for your return. God, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. A watched pot never boils. Thanks for completing that. Uh, a watch pot never boils. Th- that saying highlights a glorious, universal for all time truth that we all know. Waiting is just the worst, right? Um, but it's not just the waiting so much as what we are waiting for and what we do while we wait. Waiting for, for bad things, uh, time flies. Waiting for good things like Christmas Eve, you know, you're, the, you're a child waiting for, like, you can't even go to sleep because it seems like just forever because you're so excited or, or whatever. That seems to take forever. But if, if you're late for work and you're waiting for a train, it's, you're going to sit there forever. I mean, waiting is, is uh, man, it's, it's just the worst. I've had jobs where I watched the clock. Literally, like, I'm bored to death. I worked at a bookstore once. That was before I ever read any books. And, like, I just would walk around and, like, I can't do that, you know, like four-hour shifts felt like 40-hour shifts, right? And then where I work now, and a lot of you guys don't know this, but uh, I work other days other than just <laughs> the hour time slot that you see me here on Sundays throughout the week, and, and nearly every day when Kim gets off work between 2.15 and 2.45 or whatever, she calls me, and most of the time, when, when I see that it's her calling me, I have like this, like, ugh, this anxiety inside of me, not because I don't want to hear from Kim, but then she, I, I say hello, and she says, hey, it's, it's that time of day where I remind you all that you haven't gotten done today. <laughs> and that is the honest to goodness truth every single day. So I, I don't watch the clock now like, oh man, like I can't wait to get out of here. I watch the clock like, oh my gosh, like I need more time. And so I don't think that the seconds or minutes or hours are changing. I think that something else is changing in that waiting See, the reason why a watched pot never boils isn't due to some scientific process or laws of thermodynamics. Um, it, it never seems to boil because of our perspective. It's, it's frozen in time. We're just waiting for, like, I, I rarely cook except for on Fridays. But when I do and I boil something, I like, is it boiling when the first little thing comes? Because I'm just like, it's, surely it's done. I can throw the noodles in, right? Um, and so it's, it's frozen in time waiting for that first bubble and, and we can contribute nothing to that. I remember waiting for something a little more meaningful than water 
boiling years ago, and I've shared this once before, but when uh, Kim was pregnant with Titus, our, our first child, and she was in labor for like, you know, 24 hours, and like, it just wasn't happening, and so had to do a C-section, and like, I remember they, they threw this hat and all the medical stuff and the little footies and all that, and they put me in this, this little room that was probably 10 by 10, it was like airlocks between the, the surgery room and somewhere else, and it was just doors on both sides, no one else there, tile, fluorescent lights, and I may have been in there two minutes, but it felt like six hours. I didn't know what was happening, and I didn't know what was going to happen, and I was nervous, and I didn't know if Kim or, or Titus were healthy, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know what I could do, but, but I was waiting in this empty room with, with high hopes and lots on the line, and, and the only thing that I could do was just cry and just pray. There was literally nothing else that I could do, and, and, and most Waiting in life falls somewhere between a child being born and boiling noodles, right? Somewhere in that spectrum, and all people wait differently. And some, they do nothing, and they just watch the sands sift through the hourglass, and, and the seconds, you know, drip off the clock. And, and others, they do something else, which certainly makes the time go quicker but it could lead to, to being distracted and, and boiling the whole pot of water before you ever put the noodles in. in. In the Christian life, in our life in Christ, there is waiting. Lots of waiting. We read about promises from the, the first pages of Scripture, and we read about God's people waiting. Right? We look back on promises fulfilled, and we look forward to promises not yet fulfilled, and, and we wait. And, and what we wait for and what we do while we are waiting are all the difference. The beauty is God, he doesn't leave us in our waiting, but he gives us hope and he gives us direction in the midst of it. And so as we close out this short letter from Peter, Second Peter, um, he, he gives some real simple conclusion to this letter as the church gathers and as certainly they pass this letter around as they scattered out and, and he set some benchmarks for, for faithful and fruitful longevity for us in chapter one and, and he's contrasted the voice in the end game of false teachers in chapter two and he set before the church a future hope that's worth beholding for all of our days and today he helps pull all that together in just a few verses at the end of his letter by showing us how to wait as faithful and fruitful disciples in light of the hope that's before us because of what Christ has already done and, and what he will do. And so the big idea is, is God's promise transforms our waiting from wasteful to engaged with everyday hope. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 goes like this. He says, Therefore... Beloved, since you are waiting for these, and then you should stop and say, well, well, what are these? And so we have to look up 
a few verses above that, and, and basically he's, he's saying some things, and it, he's talking about the day of the Lord, and it'll be swift, and the earth, as you know, it will be dissolved and disclosed. And, and uh, he says, you know, be the type that, that you are godly as you wait. And then he says this, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what we're waiting for. That's, that's the boil and that's the birth, right? A new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And to be clear, what we are waiting for is a, is a good thing. In fact, it's the best thing the world has never known. It's harmony between God and humanity, and it's harmony between humanity and humanity, and it's harmony between humanity and creation, and it's harmony between God and creation. It's all things new. It's what we talk about every single time we offer any hope in what Christ has done. It's all things new. That's what we wait for. So, so what are we doing while we wait, or, or what is the work of of prepping the sides while the noodles come to boil, right? That's what we're looking at today. And, and Peter tells us for you, who just like, just tell me what to do, right? I get heart stuff and I get, just tell me what to, he just, he just tells us what to do, right? And so it's because of lots of other things, but we'll kind of look at three chunks while we wait. The first one is this, be diligent to pursue holiness, so as I continue to read, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Uh, another translation says, make every effort, make every effort, be, be diligent. The word diligent is, is a conscientiousness uh, in the way that one lives, in the way that they go about their work. It's, it's a devotion to see something through. Be diligent to pursue holiness. And we talk about this a lot, but holiness is being set apart by God for God. We're being set apart to be used for God's glory. So in a grace-fueled gospel, it seems there is often reluctance uh, towards the idea of effort. And, and we get that. But it's as if to say that, that Christ's work rings out or works against any applied dedication or any effort on our part. And the reality is that couldn't be more untrue. Grace undoes earning, but not effort. Like that's really, really important. Grace undoes our earning. Like, you can't earn God's favor, grace, entrance into the family. There's nothing you can do. There is no amount of righteousness that you could, that you could uh, slap together that would, that would get you the, the well done, son, enter in. Right? Because we know all of the scripture that says that, that if we fail in one way, then, then, we, then we fail. And we're marred by sin, and sin leads to death. That's its end game. And so there's nothing that we can do, but, but, but grace undoes our earning. We can't earn it because Christ has done it for us, but it doesn't undo our effort. In fact, it's grace above all which inflames and redeems our effort. Beholding grace 
changes us. It revives us. It brings us into and it sends us out to engage the mission. And the lens of Scripture, cover to cover, it never views that mission as a passive one. Jesus never invites people to follow him, sort of. But, but one that we get to engage diligently. So he says, follow me and count the cost and forsake everything else. And when you find yourself there, then let's get to work. Until then, what does he say? You're not fit to be my disciple. Don't flip it and say, gosh, we have to do a lot of work to be his disciple. No. You have to be committed that nothing you do can contribute to, to your relationship with the Lord. And when you find yourself there, then dive headfirst in the grace that he offers, which transforms us that we might live in a way that puts his glory on display. We certainly get to depend upon the Lord, but that doesn't mean that, that, we, that we just climb under our desk and we wait for evil to pass. But one thing we seldom think of as the mission that we're brought into is, is the mission of being conformed to the image of Christ. Normally, we think of the mission as like, go and tell, and that's a good thing, right? God uses the church to do, he, his primary mission strategy is that the church would be a light proclaiming his good news. Like, that's it, right? But, but the mission is also for us to be conformed to the image. In fact, Paul says it this way in Colossians. He, he, he's like building this... Uh, kind of dichotomy of two lives. And he says the one has, has died, the old man is dead, and the new man has come. And he's talking about us before Christ and us being alive in Christ. And he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so he says all these things, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, all these things, do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is, and in, in my opinion, this is one of the most encouraging words in all of Scripture. Put off the old self with all that came with that and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are being renewed But you're, you're not Jesus. And what that lets me do is breathe deep. And I get to look at my life. And I get to reflect and say, gosh, 10 years ago, I was a disaster. 10 minutes ago, still a disaster. But man, I, I look a little more like Jesus than I did then. And my hope is, and 10 years from now, I'll look back and I'll say, gosh. Why did they give me a microphone? And the, the assurance is, Michael, you're, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. You are being renewed in knowledge after the image of Jesus. You're not there yet, and you're not there yet. And we get to, like, behold that as we see the Spirit do work in us. So our conformity is, is both a done deal it is a done deal, and it's something that we get to walk in. You've been given new clothes. Wear them. 
You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but, but it's him who lives in you. You've been crucified with Christ. Walk in the new life that he's given you through his resurrection. And when we don't, we are, we are climbing into the tomb of our, of our dead self, the old man who was put away, and, and the old man who was stained with sin and selfishness and all that comes with that, with the former, and we are letting the old man climb out of the tomb to present himself as, as the living version of our life. And what? Paul you shouldn't do that. Like, remember who you are. Remember what, what garments you've been given in, by the righteous garments of, of Christ. And as we've said a dozen times, so often the work is, is to remember the knowledge of what's already true through the gospel, our living hope, our everyday hope, and our only hope. Because we are made new doesn't mean that, that we forsake diligence to remember and to live new. Waiting has, has a way of, of making us lax and has a way of, of allowing us to put our guard down and, and increasing our anxieties. But what this says is, is without spot or blemish, at peace. So we get to wait in a holy way and not like when you're late for work and you're stuck by a train, and you're like, oh, my, like, please, what is so important? New Miami, how could you? Curses. The anxiety, or, or waiting for things far more serious than that, or, or waiting for Christ's return, which is what's in, in scope here. Like, like, that's why you hear the saying all the time when you read your feed, or you watch the news, or whatever, like, what do, what do people say? Come, Lord Jesus. What that means is waiting is hard. Like, I, I don't want to wait anymore, God. Like, could you just wrap it up? Can we just do this? Because, like, it's really bad. So he goes on, uh, and he says, uh, th this, is just, this is just fun. Peter is like, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And so Pastor Scott talked about some of this stuff last week, but but it is God's patience for our neighbor and for ourselves. It's, it's him and his perfect timing, right, who, who allows us to do his grace to, to do that in the future. But, but he says it's, it's patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to wisdom given him. He speaks about these things in his letters. And then he says this that is another. Says, there are some things hard to understand in them. He's like, you know, Paul, like, like Corinthians and Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, these other letters, like, yeah, sometimes I don't, it's, I don't know what he's talking about. And you're like, yes! Like, is there anything more true in the scriptures that sometimes the Bible is, is hard to understand? But then he, he, he cautions that with a warning. The untaught and the unstable, they will twist them. They will twist the words of Paul and of Jesus and of Peter to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Which is why he's been compelling us to pursue what is true. Above all, pursue what is true. Else, you get things twisted. Be diligent to be holy. So again, the reason why he is building us up with what to do while we wait is because there is opposition out there. And, and they have said in, in uh, the earlier part of this chapter, they say, like, the Lord will return, but where is he? Like, he's not coming. He's not coming. 
But he is. Because his promise is true. He said that he would die, and he said that he would rise, and he did. And, and he has told us that he will return in judgment and in restoration, and that the, the old earth and the heavens will, will burn up and they will be gone, and the new earth and, and the new heavens will be established. And unlike this one where righteousness seems to have lost its way, in the new one, righteousness dwells full on, full stop, And because our greatest gain in the new heavens and the new earth is not like, oh, wow, new heavens and new earth. New earth is that Christ will be on full display. That he will, he will no longer be seen through a, you know, a mirror dimly lit. And we will no longer know in part, but we will see him in full in all of his glory. And so we get to be gripped by grace. And we get to go hard to be found holy in light of it. Be diligent. To be found holy. The second thing is this. Take care to stand firm. While you wait, take care to stand firm. Uh, I'm going to read verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So, when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, I was uh, in a youth group, and we went on a trip to Gatlinburg uh, area, and we were like in the Smoky Mountains outside of Gatlinburg and the rushing river and rocks and all that stuff, and just talking about it, I'm like, gosh, like I want to be there right now, because it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and uh, I just, I just love it, and so there was a, a young uh, upper 20s youth leader at the time. His name was Jason Carter, and some of you might know him. Um, he was, I don't know, uh, proving his manhood or establishing his maturity or whatever it was, but he was doing that by, like, like uh, jumping from rock to rock. And there was quite a chasm in one and, and the rushing river flowing down. And, um, and there was like this moment that was, and I remember I was like, I had the high ground. I was like standing up a little bit, and we didn't have phones, or it would be on the internet. But, um, but uh, it was like a, a watch this, like hold my beer moment, and Jason was not drunk at the time. I know that for a fact. Um, he jumps, and, and I remember, I, there has, there's video footage, there has to be, because I know, you know, there's a camera, they look like this back then, I think. Um, video rolled, and, and I remember watching, and it was like quite a jump, like from one rock to the other, and, and like it was a uh, stand, stable, eyebrows raised, feet hit, uh, bobble, bobble, slip, feet up, head and, and rock collide, and this is not a joke. You always laugh. I mean, that's funny. Like... 14-year-old me didn't laugh because I was like, Jason's dead. He wasn't. Maybe a little wet and maybe his pride was a little worse for wear, but um, Jason was not the first nor the last to lose his footing by being careless. Is that fair to say, Jason? I think. Um, and that's why we have like fail army and other things that you can follow now and watch people do that all day, every day. Um, another story, all right, and I have I have three. This is the second one. Um, also a Carter. Um, 
J Justin Carter, uh, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. We talk about it like once a week for the last 15 years. The men, the early days of the village, we got together for something called Theology on Tap, like on one Monday, and then like two weeks later, we just hung out, and we were hanging out at what was then Riverbank Cafe. Now it's the place of like Roll-On Inn area. So we were hanging out, and Justin lives nearby, and he rode his bike, and it was like a decent day out or whatever, and so he leaves like 10 o'clock, and, and he's like riding his bike home, and, he's, and, and he heads home, and then like, I don't know, 15 minutes later or whatever, I get uh, a text from my flip phone, and, um, and he says, hey, like, I got punched in the face while riding my bike home, and I'm like, like, what, you know, like, call him, and he's, and he tells this story, and, the, and as the story goes, uh, Justin's riding on Park Avenue, and, and he's just riding his bike, and most people ride like this when they're telling a story, but I'm not doing that, because no one moves their hands when they ride a bike. Just doing this, and uh, and he hears some footsteps, and someone like grabs his shoulder and just punches him in the face from behind. And what Justin does is, and this is my favorite part, he just keeps going, right? <laughs> and he gets home, um, punched, but not shaken off his bike. S stand firm, right? One more story. Um, not a Carter. I was at the beach um, in Michigan, and they have sandy beaches there, like, you know, ocean-looking beaches, and uh, wave after wave, slowly drifting, waiting for the sun to go down. I think that's what I'm waiting for. If I'm at the beach, I'm, like, typically just waiting for the sun to not be so fierce, right? So I'm sitting there, like, where the waves are coming, and I'm on the sand, and the waves are just kind of like stopping right here, and I'm probably there for like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, like a, a long time, maybe a little longer than that, just like taking it in, and the kids are small, and we're having fun, and whatever, and uh, all that, uh, all the while, unbeknownst to me, wave after wave was ever so slowly filling the lining of my shorts with sand, so much that when I stood up, I could barely walk. And you're probably thinking, oh, like, just, you know, shake the sand out. But no, I tried. I, like, I, I tried, like, for a long time to, like, just squeeze the sand out. And it didn't happen so much that I had to, on the spot, like, cut the lining out of my swimming trunk. This is not a joke. Probably 10, 10 pounds or more of sand that would, would not come out. And so I had to cut the lining out of my shorts just to, like, uh, get to the car or, or like enjoy the beach adventure or whatever, right? Um, so you're asking, gosh, like what does Jason Carter rock jumping and Justin Carter getting punched in the face and, and my shorts filling with sand have anything to do with Peter's point or what God desires for us to know today? And, and here's the thing, while we wait, be careful, don't be reckless, expect the hits and stay the course, and, and don't sit idly and let your shorts fill up with sand. Peter's conclusion has this warning in mind, like, like, like a slippery when wet sign. If you would walk into a gas station, you would see the sign. You would say, wow, okay, like I'm mindful. 
that that's probably true, and so I just need to be aware. Or like if you're down at the Red River Gorge, or I'm guessing any other canyon, and you see the the, the warning signs of the little stick guy, and he's like falling off the cliff, and there's like crumbs of the cliff. Like, be careful when you're on the edge of the cliff, because if you don't, doing it, it's a sign with a stick man and the loose rocks falling on the edge of sure footing, and he says, take care, be on guard. He says it this way, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own Stability. Follow what's true. Follow God's voice. He isn't shifting from the idea of false teachers. He's reinforcing the idea by saying, take care. Pay attention to the warning signs, to the words of this letter that he's writing, to my words that I've spoken to you with my mouth, and, and to, to our brother Paul and, and others who are writing, to, to, to take my caution and alarm. Stand guard because the seed of faith that's yours and the seed of faith for, for generations beyond you is worth being mindful of. Handle it with care. Remember the benchmarks of truth and godliness, and keep those near so that you are not swayed from stability of truth by the ones who oppose God. Take care, lest you too fall. And the last thing, grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. He says it this way in verse 18, but, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, for, for increase in the knowledge of Christ is the evidence as well as the cause of true growth in grace. For increase in the knowledge of Christ is the evidence as well as the cause of true growth. And how do we, how do we overcome? Like, Peter has painted a pretty bleak scenario. And he's made, like, a lot of people that these people seem to know, like, villains. Like, it's not flowery language. He's not giving them benefit of doubt by this point. He's, like, writing in all caps. Now, why would he do that? Because he cares about truth, and he cares about these people. And he didn't know it, but the Spirit's warning through Peter to those people was because God cares about the same thing for you in this room today. He cares about truth, and he cares about you. And he knows that those two things walk hand in hand. There's so much sweetness in the way that he concludes. He points them and he points up. I heard somebody a couple months ago, it was a preacher talking to preachers, and he said, gosh, the first thing I do when I'm going to preach through a book of the Bible is I read the first chapter and the last chapter, and so often you just can't believe how, how regularly the writer says the same thing. He envelopes it, he envelopes it which is what we do when we write. 
right? We, we, we set it up on the front end, and we, we close it out on the back end. And, and this is true. It's the same thing that he told us. The way to overcome is to know what you know in the face of, of nothing is true, and in the face of everything is true, and in the face of, of your truth is, is the greater truth. He, he, he simply winds down just as he wound up. Know Jesus and the grace that he offers. Well, how do I overcome the... Know Jesus and the grace that he offers. Well, but this world is super dark and it seems evil. And know grace and knowledge and, and the grace that Jesus offers. The way you overcome the difficulty of this world and false teachers and, and the wild west of unknowns and confusion and opposition and, and all the difficulty, all, all in, in light of a promised future that is sure and good, yet here we wait Redeem the time that you have. Well, how do I do that? Grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. To him be the glory both now and till the day of eternity. What does it mean to grow in grace? Well, it's, it's grow in what's already done through the gospel. Grow in, in what has already happened. Remember what is already true. The greatest news of the gospel is its assurance that it's done. You don't have to say, ah, but did Jesus die for all of my sin? The greatest thing about the good news is, is its assurance. You know, we've talked about this, but, but the gospel, the word gospel was, was hijacked from the early church. It was, it was hijacked by the early church from the Romans. And what would happen is, is Rome was off on, on military battles, and there would be a, a, a courier, per se, someone coming back to, to let them know what was the, the day's, uh, what happened that day in battle, right? And so he, he, would, he would come into town, and, and they would say, give us the good news. Like, give us the gospel. Like, what's good? And, and when he gave them good news, tell us the gospel. Here is the gospel. The battle is over, and Rome has conquered. Rome has won. Rome continues to exist. We live to fight another day. That was the gospel. It, here is the gospel. It's a wrap. Hey! That's, I mean, that's in our gospel. The gospel of Jesus is, is news that we get to respond to. It isn't instruction on how to live a better life. It's, it's news that gives you the full life. It's news that gives you eternal life. It's the only news that gives you life. It is not, it is not instruction. But, but Peter is giving us instruction on how to remember the news. And so the more clearly... You see your own sin, the greater the news of the gospel. If you're afraid to look at your own sin, you're not alone. But you're also living out of a truth that's, that's not this good news. The more clearly you see your own sin, the greater the news, and, and the greater the hope that we walk in every moment of every full, guarded, ready to contend for this truth, ready to be wise in how we walk the terrain of life, ready to, to take the unexpected shots to our faith in the dark unknowns, 
ready to, to move so we don't collect sand in our pockets that weighs us down. And the good news is, is this. It's free grace. It, it is not deserved pardon. So when you look at your sin, and you think, but God, but I'm not like this guy. I'm not that bad. You have no hope because you're deceived. You're far worse than you think that you are. It, it, it is the, the gospel is not that, that we get pardoned from our sin because we deserve it. It's just the opposite. It's, it's not being found not guilty, that, that's not the good news, but it's being found guilty of sin against God and, and yet being called righteous and free and welcomed into the family in spite of who we are, because of who God is. Grace has no quantitative value. It can't be numbered only to say that it is available as a gift from the patience of our Lord granted through faith until he returns. But the way we grow in grace is to regularly put before ourselves the gap between our sin and Christ's righteousness. I know. You might think, well, that just brings me to a place of guilt. And what I would say is you're then you're not believing the good news. The good news is, is that, that gap between Christ's righteousness and your sinfulness, so long as you spend your life devoted to this book and what's true, you will see your life grow in holiness. And yet, the, the more you know how holy God is, you will see that gap get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what that means is, is grace grows according to your knowledge of Jesus' work. So it says grow in grace and grow in knowledge. See, this isn't a call to regard the facts of the life of Jesus. Jesus, date of birth, family of origin. Got it. it it's not even a call to, to memorize scripture for memorizing scripture's sake. God, growing knowledge. I have a thousand verses memorized and, and three entire books of the Bible. I've got this one figured out. Right? That, but you, where you land on all of the most difficult theological issues, that is, not, that is not the work of growing in knowledge. But growing in knowledge is to behold the gospel of the past and live in light of the promise yet to come. And man, in all of those things, memorizing scripture and reading scripture and sorting out your systematic theology, all of those things, they are not the end goal. They are a means to help you behold the gospel of the past, the work that's already been done, and live in light of the promise yet to come. That promise that gives us everyday hope of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and we get to be with God and his people forever. So Paul says it this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
I didn't have to tell you that. You know that's true. And the call is, well, so what? How about that? Spend time with God. Walk with him. Pray with him. When you don't know what to do while you're waiting, there's nothing better to do than say, God, I I don't know what to do. Spend time with God's family, just like you're doing this morning, right? We, we get to know our family roots a little better. We get to know uh, our good father by spending time with, with all these clumsy kids that we call the church. Spend time reading his letters. God said, you want to know me? Here, here I am. This is what you need to know about me. So dive in and figure out who I am. And then let your life be conformed to his life in light of future promises until he comes. That's what we get to do. Be diligent, take care, grow in grace and knowledge. The band can come on up. God's promise transforms our waiting from wasteful to engaged with everyday hope. And what a sweet closing Peter gives us. We get to respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing. You can pray where you are. There's a prayer bench over there. There's a red tree over there, or someone will be back there. We would love to pray with you. If you're in Christ, we take communion, this little wafer, this little cup. We do this to remember Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was spilled. And what this is, it's a a reminder and a declaration of the meal that we get to have with Jesus. Of the meal that we get to have as a family because of Jesus. And so the Bible, partake of this. There's no reason to do that. If you have unrepentant sin, don't remember and declare that as part of your life, but repent and turn from that sin and delight with a meal with Jesus and his family. Father, thank you so much for your gift of grace, the promise which transforms our waiting from wasteful to engage with everyday hope. Would you even today by your spirit, would you just reach in and, and grab those that are far from you and invite them near? Holy Spirit, would you speak to those who are around you and your people and, and your church all the time, but who are far from you? Would you just today let them turn and see you for who you are and give them, give them a desire to know you, to grow in grace and knowledge? God, we love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen.